Hello, and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed, and if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Close Talking. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Mundley. And I am your other co-host, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And today we are together to talk about the poetry of Arthur Z. Woo! Woo! Now, I feel like it is incumbent upon us to celebrate the name. Well, number one, because Arthur Z is a much lauded poet, 11 collections of poetry, including... Oh. His most recent, The Glass Constellation, New and Collected Poems. Uh, also a Pulitzer Prize finalist back in 2015 for Compass Rose. National Book Award winner in 2019 for Sightlines. Poetry in the New Yorker, the Paris Review, all over the place. Because we were talking about one of Arthur Z's poems today, which is going to be First Snow, which is a, a wonderful poem. But quickly before we do that, I know we talk about this briefly in the intro to the episode um, but I just wanted to shout out because we uh, we always talk about how we like ratings and reviews and, and whatnot. We got a new review and it is one of my favorite reviews of all time. It uh, is titled Amazing! And it is from DMCH13, which I don't know, a D minor 13th chord maybe? I don't know. Um, but oh. the title is Amazing! And the body of it, let me just read this to you. Let me hit you with this, Connor. Okay, okay. I'm listening. That- that Connor has such a luscious voice. Oh, god! Oh, no, no, no. It's not over. Uh-oh. That that Connor has such a luscious voice and even more luscious commentary. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. So everybody out there, if you're listening, if you're enjoying, if you think Connor's got a luscious voice and after the end of this episode, you think he gave some pretty luscious commentary, drop a rating interview up on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh and you know title it fantastic and say something nice about connor's insights and his voice um the more of those that we can get in that comment section really make sure people understand that connor's on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) make people wonder why there's two names on it just if they if they quickly scroll the reviews like geez what why is this other guy here that would be amazing (laughs) Well, Jack, I think your commentary is quite luscious as well. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> until I see it in the reviews, I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, 
No, I thought that was particularly fun. So I wanted to shout it out at the beginning of the episode and also encourage everybody out there listening right now, rating and review. We love it. It makes us very happy, as you can tell. And it also obviously helps us on the algorithms in the various podcatcher apps that are out there. So rating and review, say something nice about Connor's voice, say something nice about the commentary, give it a, <laughs> give it a fun one word review with an exclamation point. Because uh, you know what? We, we need some good vibes out yeah, in the world. That's true. Um, which is and, why we're talking about this poem. That's true. Yes. Um, I believe that Arthur Z's poetry, I, I was reading up on him and Naomi Shihab Nye has said about his work. Naomi Shihab Nye said, Arthur Z's work has long been a nourishing tonic for the mind. Presences of the natural world, wide consciousness and time, combine in exquisitely shaped and weighted lines and stanzas to create a poetry of deep attunement and lyrical precision. Um, which I think is totally right. And I was, I was thinking about that nourishing tonic for the mind feels very right. Yes, that is definitely a lot of the thought that went into this selection. Um, and we'll definitely get into that. I think, um, but yeah, let, let's do the poem and, and see where we go. So this is First Snow by Arthur Z. A rabbit has stopped on the gravel driveway, imbibing the silence. You stare at spruce needles. There's no sound of a leaf blower, no sign of a black bear. A few weeks ago, a buck scraped his rack against an aspen trunk, a carpenter scribing a plank along a curved stone wall. You only spot the rabbit's ears and tail. When it moves, you locate it against speckled gravel, but when it stops, it blends in again. The world of being is like this gravel. You think you own a car, a house, this blue zigzagged shirt, but you just borrow these things. Yesterday, you constructed an aqueduct of dreams and stood at Gibraltar, but you possess nothing. Snow melts into a pool of clear water, and in this stillness, starlight behind daylight, wherever you gaze. And that's first snow. I love it. Yeah, it's quite something. A lot to get into there, but I think as a starting place, you know, what uh, what Naomi Shihab Nye said, <laughs> I think is pretty apt. I was thinking about like, you know how Netflix has like three words that it gives you with a film where it's like gritty, emotional, yeah, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was sort of doing that and thinking about some of the words that Naomi Shihab Nye was using is like, yeah, it's like contemplative and elliptical. And, you know, I, I was in my head as I was reading this and also, you know, reading some of his other poetry and listening to some of his readings as we were, you know, prepping to do this, I was trying to figure out what my like three words were going to be. And they were all in that sort of, realm of like meditative inquisitive atmospheric 
<laughs> yeah. Sometimes soothing or calming or but yeah, very very much in that kind of tenor. Mm-hmm. No, Att- absolutely. Attentive was another one that came up. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a. Uh, I think that's a big attentiveness, and it it really is like the kind of the observation sort of taken in its fullest. I was thinking about all the things. There's almost like I was like, oh, maybe we should do a little narrative play by play, and. There's like a lot going on in a certain way, but in terms of like things happening, it's like the rabbit stops doing something. (laughs) It's like taking in the silence. Um, The you in the poem is looking at some spruce needles. Um, There's other forms of silence. Not a black bear, not a leaf blower. Um, something did happen though a few weeks ago. Uh, a buck scraped his rack against the trunk of an absent uh, aspen. Um, and then it kind of returns to watching this rabbit. Uh, and then it 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 moves into um, I don't know, kind of more contemplative, abstract language and ideas um and then there's kind of snow melting um but it's you know the things that aren't happening have almost as much presence or even more presence than anything that has happened or did happen um you know the first actual action is a stopping of motion um which i think really um, yeah, I don't know. It, it gets at kind of that contem- contemplating and attentiveness, um, that there, there doesn't need to be all this action and happenings and motion and all this stuff for there to be a real sort of, um, depth to, to the poem, um, that, that he's, I don't know, really making work. Yeah, well, opening on that stopping really does kind of bring you into that observational moment where you sort of pause and notice something. And it feels to me like what really happens through this poem is sort of a collection of noticings and observations more so than, as you were saying, any kind of narrative progression or you know any kind of narrative, really. It's like, I noticed this, I noticed that. And even the more abstract and contemplative parts feel like they sort of grow out of those observations in a way that some poems make a clearer move from like, I noticed this and here's what that means. Um, Even though that does happen here, the way that it's constructed makes you feel like this is just the next thing that was noticed as opposed to, ah, and now this experience turns into something meaningful. It's like, there's the rabbit and, oh, hey, it looks like, uh, you know, this is a pretty peaceful time. There's not leaf blowers, nothing really dangerous going on. I guess that rabbit wasn't running from something. It just kind of came by and stopped in the driveway. And oh, yeah, over there is where, uh, you know, a, a deer kind of scraped some stuff up and there's the wall over there. And, you know, is this kind of what everything's like? 
<laughs> you know, it, it does. It's not given a different weight in the poem. I was noticing this and thinking about that. And then I was noticing this, thinking about this other thing. And oh, yeah, you know what? You don't really own anything. It's kind of like I'm here like the rabbit's here and we disappear like the rabbit disappears into the gravel and we're all just being around, man. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's good stuff. Sometimes it's daytime. Sometimes it's nighttime. There's always another day after the night and like it keeps on going. Sometimes it's the first snow and you know what? There's also going to be a last snow this year, but hey, that's just the last snow until the next first snow. So <laughs> check out the water cycle um it has that kind of circular almost logic to it even though it's presented as a a bit of a progression it feels like it's just waiting to come around again for the next rabbit to stop or for you know the next moment of noticing to happen yeah definitely it it reminds me it, it, well, it got me thinking of like times when I've been like sitting in my yard and it was funny because I was like the, the rabbit memories that I have are like more action packed uh, than this where our little dog Oso is constantly trying to chase bunnies and rabbits and he never will catch anything. And there was this recent time when, um, the rabbit we were walking, it like went, it was like chilling and then Oso noticed it and started to like run to it. I mean, he was on the leash and then the rabbit like hopped like 15 feet away and then stopped and then waited <laughs> and then we got close enough again and then it like also got ramped up and then it just, and it did that like five times. And it just, it just felt like it was taunting Oso, who Aww. really felt like he was like hot on the trail, like about to get, find this rabbit, but it just was like, eh, I'll go a little bit further. <laughs> uh, okay. Maybe not. Um, anyway, I was thinking about that for some reason. Um, but yeah, but it, it does remind me of this kind of like, especially when you're either like maybe you're in conversation with someone or you're like doing work or you're like reading or trying to write and then like something catches your eye and you're kind of like brought out of whatever um, mental space you are and like return to the world in a way. Um, and and then th that that kind of like reorientation sort of allows you to to perceive all the other things that that have been there or that aren't there but maybe usually are there yeah i don't know it's it's um well i'm just like i'm thinking of like there is this kind of moment in the poem where it's you know it's it's gesturing at this kind of um, bigger idea or bigger meaning, um, you know, the world of being is like this gravel. Um, and there's like a colon and it's like, you think you own a car, a house, this blue zigzag shirt, but you just borrow these things. Um, yesterday you constructed an aqueduct of dreams and stood at Gibraltar 
but you possess nothing. Um, and the ending, I think, is is a kind of another turn. It's some somewhat different than that main idea. But the the whole the world of being is like this gravel, and you think you own these things, but you don't basically. So there's like the idea itself, which I think is, um, you know, there's the kind of like this idea of ownership that's also like built into the social, economic, political fabric of buying things and stuff. And, um, but like in the, Right. It's like as soon as you die, it's like you don't own it anymore. Or maybe maybe if you're wealthy enough, you have your estate <laughs> owns it and then you pass it on to your next kid. But it's like but even you're, then you're not there. Like Exactly. Like you're um, <laughs> it's totally. Yeah. In in the kind of <laughs> imaginary constructs uh, that any sense of ownership continues um but which i think which i think is is um and then kind of the second part of the idea of like the constructing an act without the dreams instead of gibraltar like i feel like there's this real kind of like idea of grandeur there you know like of like epic historical i don't know it's like yeah, so it's this kind of like not only you think you own things, but maybe you even have an idea of your own self-importance, but it's kind of all imagination. Um, and I think there's there's that idea is 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 obviously very important to the poem. But I but I thought it was interesting. Um, then I was like thinking about the original moment when it jumps into that, the world of being is like this gravel. Um, and I was curious, like how you thought the gravel is like playing out because it's like the rabbits, like on the gravel driveway. And then when it comes back, it's like, um, you only spot the rabbit's ears and tail when it moves, you locate it against speckled gravel, but when it stops, it blends in again. The world of being is like this gravel. Um, yeah, so there's like something, something in how the gravel and the rabbit <laughs> are like uh, inter interacting and, and playing out that is kind of the basis for this this kind of simile and figurative move. Um, and yeah, I'm curious what, if you had any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think one reading, if we're gonna kind of extrapolate out, and as you were saying, there's this in the move to the way that the world of being is like this gravel is then kind of further dug into, there is this, you know, call back to aqueducts and Gibraltar and, I get very Roman Empire kind of uh, call outs there because there's the ancient Roman aqueducts that still stand today and the Rock of Gibraltar is geographically in the, the zone, the Rome zone, the ancient Rome zone. Um, 
And I think, yeah, so if we take the this Rome com- zone, the Rome zone, that's what they actually called it. They weren't like, oh, the bones of our empire. They're like, no, no, no. You want to get in the Rome zone? Come on, get in the Rome zone. There's just like a Roman guard that's like, halt. You are now entering <laughs> the Rome zone. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the wall is like, nah, bro. <laughs> Out there is everywhere else. You got to get in the Rome zone. <laughs> All roads lead to the Rome zone. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. Sorry. Thank um, you. Continue. <laughs> no, so, you know, it's all about the Rome zone. But uh, like if we're taking this comparison point as sort of being humans in the broader sense are like this rabbit on the driveway, then I think you could maybe there's a reading that's like when you're alive and you're moving around and you're separate from the more holistic world of being, you are distinguishable as a, as an entity of your own and you're moving around and people can spot you and be like, wow, look, he's building an aqueduct or, you know, he's the emperor that told all those people to build an aqueduct and not get paid for it. Or he's inventing Facebook in that dorm room or, you know, whatever, Uh, (laughs) like your, your life and your accomplishments have tangible, noticeable, whatever, Um, or intangible because it's on the internet and it's a Bitcoin or something, but uh, fucking Bitcoin, but fungible, fungible or non-fungible, uh. which I, well, we don't need to get into this right now, but I loved the word fungible. Not so much anymore. No, it feels like it has itself been fungified. Yeah. It's been sullied, sullied, sullied. by the, sullied by the Bitcoins and the crypto nonsense. Also, you know what? All the crypto stuff, like cryptozoology, less cool now, I think, because of how crypto is as a word. I oh. I find I've had a similar experience, not with fungible, mm. but with crypto, because I used to think that like, oh, cryptozoology, cryptids, like that's fun and cool. Right. It sounds like a new coin. Oh, this is like Bigfoot coin. Yeah, no, true. That's true. Um, like ether, like Ethereum, it's like, okay, the ether, that's a crazy idea that a lot of people believe that they're just like this stuff. Although it's like, kind of, we have our own versions of ether, like the dark matter or whatever, but it only belongs in the MCU where it was one of the six infinity (laughs) stones, Connor in Thor, the dark world. It in. It went into Jane Foster. That's the only ether I care about. And now oh I can't goodness. rewatch Thor the Dark World anymore because I just think about Vitalik Buterin. Yeah. I can't rewatch Thor the Dark World, Connor. <laughs> that is the greatest loss of all. Mean Christopher Eccleston wanted the ether, Connor. He wanted it. And now I can't watch that movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, so yeah, if we're taking this comparison point of like people and the rabbit and when you move around during your life, it's like, oh, hey, that's a distinct entity of consciousness that's existing in the world and doing things. And sometimes it's skyscrapers and sometimes it's a hedge or whatever. Um, Mm. But then when you stop or you die, uh, you melt back into the world of being. You no longer have that distinctness Mm. in that particular way. You become indistinguishable from the gravel that makes up the universe of everything your energy is dissipated you decay into the ground and you know 
depending on your spiritual beliefs, your consciousness then has some other experience. Who knows? And I think that's one possible reading of where the rabbit and the gravel and the world of being kind of fall. Uh, wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting because it then, like, thinking about that, it makes um, sort of the motion itself becomes the kind of metaphorical uh, thing. Like, that is, because it's like, if, if it, people are the rabbit, then it's like, you're doing your thing. You think you own shit. You're, you got your aqueduct of dreams while you're in motion, right? That's when you can be perceived or whatever. But then as soon as you stop or you die, then you blend in to the gravel, to the rocks. But so then it's, it's the moving that then is kind of the, the, the little thing that is, is kind of like triggering this kind of idea sort of for the speaker, which makes it kind of interesting how thinking about that in the context of what we, we had already been talking about with like the poem beginning on the stopping of motion um, and like their, um, and then thinking about it sort of in the context of how the poem ends, which I think is very interesting, like snow melts into a pool of clear water and in this stillness, starlight behind daylight, wherever you gaze, um, which is, I mean, it's a just a beautiful um, image. And it's also the first moment where we get the title kind of like acknowledged where we actually get the snow. Um, but then like the, in this stillness has kind of an extra resonance, I think in the context of the, the, the world of being, being like the gravel um, because it's, it's in this stillness uh, that, there's the starlight behind daylight, but then it's in the stillness that the rabbit cannot be uh, discerned from the gravel. And in this stillness, then that the sort of lie of ownership and grandeur and people being whatever uh, is kind of clear. Um, and of course it is, it's, it's, its intention, you know, where the, the melting is itself, it takes a motion, <laughs> losing motion to know that you are no longer in motion, you know, where it's like the rabbit has stopped. You're like, oh, no longer moving. Now I am noticing the snow melts. That's moving. Oh, now it's a still clear pool of water. Um, Wow, that's that's really interesting. I think it's also it gets at this kind of thread of appearance and disappearance that runs through the poem because obviously like there are stars in the sky all the time. We don't see them because the sun shines so brightly. You don't notice the gravel when the rabbit's moving around because you're like, "Ooh, it's the rabbit." And then it disappears and the gravel reveals itself. 
And so, you know, when there is stillness, that would be akin to, I guess, like the sun going out <laughs> and then you see the stars that it obscures, like the, the big loud thing that's happening falls away for a moment and you see how vast the activity that goes on beyond it is, you know? And it's like the the triumph of sunlight is literally life. Like all life exists because we've got the sun. Thank you. That's pretty cool. Um, but behind <laughs> the sun are all these other suns. And there's this entire, literally the universe, the world of being is the starlight behind daylight. And our world of being is only possible. And like life is only possible because of sunlight. But the whole of existence is obscured by the sun because we don't see the universe when it's out. Um, I think I wasn't really thinking about this when I selected the poem, but I think there's been more attention to this kind of stuff than usual because the first images from the, the Webb space telescope came in. Yeah. And so it's like contemplating the vastness of all the different galaxies and universes and our tiny little place in them. Um, and rendering human activity on that cosmic scale feels like some folks have been thinking and talking about that recently. <laughs> um, <laughs> those conversations that don't necessarily crop up a whole lot in popular discourse. Um, but like, I don't know. I think there's a way of framing that that happens quite often that's sort of like well in the face of all this why do anything because <laughs> mm. it's like we're tiny specks on a tiny speck and we're only here for a short period of time so like who cares about climate change or whatever um because like the planet will be fine we'll all die out but it'll keep spinning and the universe goes on and it's cold and unfeeling and whatever but at the same time it's like how cool is it that we're learning about all of space and we're these weird little you know, hyper-intelligent primates running around on a little pebble on our ring of our little galaxy. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of that going on here where it's kind of preserving the value of the activity. Like mm -hmm. sunlight is the reason that there's a rabbit and a black bear and a deer that scrapes its antlers on aspen trees and heck it's the reason there's aspen trees but also there's all the starlight behind it don't lose sight of that just because the bigger thing is taking up space or drawing your attention in the moment like notice the other stuff um, and that maybe even gets to the title a little bit because the only snow that shows up is this snow that melts into a pool of clear water again kind of hinting at the cyclical nature of things obviously the water cycle is like all around us and it's happening all the time and it's a big deal but also just the fact that the reason we can see the gravel is because there's no snow like if there was almost any snow a gravel driveway would be obscured you don't need much to cover it up because it's so small and so this call out to something that is there or isn't there or is only visible because of something not being there i feel like the title throws that layer of that of meaning kind of over the the poem um as well which i think is interesting because you're right like the snow only shows up very late in the poem and it's only there to melt it's not like a focus of it but yeah the snow is also interesting because like 
obviously it's temperature dependent, but the potential for a first snow to happen is kind of always there in the water cycle, even when it's not happening. So, you know, the snow clouds behind rain clouds or whatever, you could see it as a little bit like that, where, okay, it's the spring and it's raining right now, but I know that this cycle also produces snow at some point. So thinking about what's present versus hidden, I also see the the call out to first snow as being a little bit like that as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it's, it, that's really interesting because it's also like, it's like the cycles, but then it's like the, it's like the cycles, but it's also like the first one sort of gives you a certain like sense of the pattern in a different way than another iteration would in a way, if that makes sense, where like, um, totally like in the, the literal sense of this poem, it's like, because it's the first snow and there hadn't been snow. And then it's like, still not like deep winter or whatever, the snow is going to melt and there's not much, and it's not like a, a weird warm day in February where like half the snow melts. And so it, there's still snow. It's like, oh, you just have this little flash of what is to come and kind of how the pattern works. Um, and, but it's also, well, yeah, it's like, I was thinking about this and they're, they're not in conversation, but we did talk about another poem called first snow. Um, yes, we did. Yes, we yes, did. We did. Um, and which, which was the Aria Eber poem first snow, um, which is interesting because it's kind of like taking the opposite tact of snow where like the first line of that one is how easy for snow to turn to ice um, for snow to disappear the light from the ragged frame of chestnut trees. Um, and whereas, you know, this snow is, is melting. Uh, and the first in that first snow is like her, the speaker's first snow sort of um, like moving to a new place. Um, whereas this is like a seasonal first snow. Uh, not necessarily for the speaker, um, but there's still this kind of like, it's just an interesting way to think about um, cycles in that way where it's like, sure, it's kind of the same thing <laughs> happening over and over again, but like each moment is, is offering, um, you can see it differently and it, it, shows itself in a different way um which i think is is really interesting yeah and then what you were saying about uh i hadn't i hadn't made that because the line when i was first reading it starlight behind daylight wherever you gaze i was like oh my gosh that's one of those just lines you wish for uh but it's also like mysterious kind of like what does that actually mean but that it it actually yeah what you were saying of um 
the light from the stars is is always shining onto earth we're just only able to perceive it when the daylight from our sun is is not there um and that kind of sense of also the kind of yeah the sense of like it it even being it's like right it's like i don't know that's just very and then yeah it it does parallel the snow melting because it's kind of like this it's it's returning to form like returning to the original without snow but because the snow is so total when it falls a lot of the time that kind of seeing you know the gravel behind snow <laughs> or whatever makes you see the gravel in a different way um and also how great for the gravel you know just like more love to gravel you know it's yes. like that's where the world of being is um people are always paying attention to these rabbits and like sure my dog's trying to chase a rabbit, not trying to chase gravel. Also, if you're like my one and only wife, Sarita, who's recently still only got, the one wife. My one and only wife. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> anyway, if you're like even... your one and only wife, Sarita. Sorry, now I just am hearing my one and only wife, Sarita. I was, I didn't know why you said that. It was so surprising. I was like, my, I mean, like, yeah, I get it. Only, like, yeah, 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 my one true, but then I think I added wife when it's like, lo- maybe love, maybe. Aww. Anyway, unless you're like my wife, Sarita, who's looking for agates, a very nice kind of rock and gravel at least around these parts in Minnesota, a lot of agates. So sometimes you do really want to be looking through the gravel. And, you know, if someone comes out from their house and say, hey, stop trespassing on my driveway, this is my property, you can just say, eh. We just borrow these things. Yeah, if they're like, hey, get off my gravel. (laughs) What is yours? What is mine? Arthur Z told me, you possess nothing, man. Yeah, like imagine. One thing I find really interesting and part of why I wanted to talk about this poem is because it is a poem that is, I think, uh, hard to talk about or hard to talk about well, because it resists the sort of academic analysis. Because as soon as you start applying that, you just sound like you're missing the point, Mm. which I think is very funny with some of Arthur Z's poetry, where Mm. you will find people who do kind of academic readings of it and talk about like, well, this here does this and this does this other thing and whatever. And obviously that's kind of what we do here. But I think it's very, very funny to me when I hear that, because it just sounds like like I get that all of that is there and he talks about his writing process and he does have like he has a very thoughtful and considered writing process where he goes through lots and lots of drafts of poems, but it's also built on a foundation 
of intuition and experiential kind of writing. Uh, he talks about how his writing process is basically like he gets up and makes coffee and he writes as the sun rises. Like that's kind of what he does. Um, and there was a great, I watched a, an interview reading that he did and he had this great quote. Uh, if I know where the poem is going ahead of time, usually those poems aren't that interesting, uh, which he elaborates on. But like he starts off with this kind of very intuitive place and then does many, many, many drafts and hones it down. So it does have like a whole process. And obviously the language is really carefully constructed and considered, but the overall feeling that it gives and the way that it goes about expressing just feels like as soon as you start trying to break down really technically what's happening, you're just not, uh, you're not vibing with the poem, basically. <laughs> like you are not yeah. on its level. You're not, you're not engaging with it in the way that it's very loudly asking to be engaged with, which is just like, Hey, have you thought about this? Yeah. Um, which is part of why I wanted to talk about it just because, you know, we've done some poems like that, but I feel like the, the intensity of feeling that his poems go for is so to the side of the real like theory, heavy literary technical analysis. No, I think that's a really good point. Cause I, I also, I've been making my way through um, the book that this poem comes from Sightlines, and the first poem in that collection is like a many part poem uh water calligraphy um i think there's seven sections uh and it it really kind of runs the gamut of you know there's a there's a wildfire in one section it begins with a green turtle and broth uh and there's fawns grazing and tea leaves in a cup and there, but there's, a, and there's also parts where anyway, it's, it's like the reason why I was thinking about that poem, partly the way you were talking about it, because this is kind of how I was thinking about it is um, in that poem, there are moments where like, and it's kind of hinted by the title to water calligraphy, but the speaker itself is kind of writing like in the poem, it's sort of like self-reflexive or whatever, where it's like aware of like, it's a poem, you know, like the section seven opens like the letter A was once an inverted cow's head, but now as I write, it resembles feet planted on the earth rising to a point, um, which is like both thinking about language and then also thinking about language, like drawing attention to the thinking about it as as one is writing about it, you know, writing about thinking about language. Um, and that there's another section in five or yeah, section five where like, um, you know, as I write the strokes of moon and moon is, is um, you know, italicized. And, and this is, I think like a calligraphy description because it's, I let the brush uh, and then it says swerve, but it's crossed out in the text. And then it's rest for a moment before I lift it. Um, and it's like, and make the one stroke, but then stroke is crossed out in its hook. And then it's like, ah, it's all in that hook. And so there you kind of are like, you're like the, the moment of the poem is in the moment of the speaker 
actually going through the physical action of calligraphy or of writing. Um, and anyway, there's no, it's a wonderful, that poem is just an amazing um, poem, but I, I was thinking about that a little bit with this one, even though there's no like I writing in First Snow, um, to me it like, and I think we've talked about this before, but like sometimes the poem, you know, that uh, I guess this is the way I could say it, that a poem generally is like intention between being two kinds of things where like on the one hand, it's like, it's a description of something else, right? It's like a rabbit has stopped on the gravel driveway. It's like, okay, there was a rabbit somewhere in the world and now I'm telling you about it. Um, and it's also like a thing in itself and the experience and the, and reading a poem is uh, an event sort of itself and has a existence um, and, and is its own encounter. Like I can encounter the poem in the same way that I can encounter the rabbit on the driveway. Um, and like some poems, like the, the water calligraphy that opens the collection sight lines is like the moments when the poet is kind of like announcing, like I'm writing. Are, are like moments when the, the kind of fourth wall, so to speak, of the poem is broken and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm reading a poem <laughs> that's being written and it's kind of being written like as I'm reading it or like that's kind of the effect that's happening, you know, like when, a, when an actor on a stage is like addressing you directly and is like, this play kind of sucks or whatever. Um. <laughs> <laughs> when also they, when they, it seems like there are times when it's crafted so that it seems like they're kind of thinking of the next thing as they think of it. And I think this poem has that feel to it very much. You're so right on where it's like, it feels like each observation or realization is coming one after the other in real time. There's no, you know, gap in contemplation where it's fourth wall break in the sense of like, and now is the poet who's thought about that experience of seeing the rabbit for a while. Hmm. What if that's existence? Everything right. like that. It's right. more like, I think sort of that. that's what I was thinking of when I was phrasing it perhaps confusingly as like a collection of observations. You know, it <laughs> feels like that next part comes in as like, oh yeah, hmm, that might be everything <laughs> in, in that gravel, huh? Hmm. Right, right, right. No, exactly. And I think because the reason why I was thinking about that in terms of um, Z's poetry being like, not wanting to be just sort of analyzed in this, like unlocking the code kind of way is because there is that way of doing it, but that kind of treats a po the poem as sort of like a sculpture that's done and crafted and is a thing, like an object that's sort of fixed, sort of if there's like so many different <laughs> analogies and similes and metaphors that are being mixed right now, but at any rate, and the other way, which becomes, I think more present, which is why I brought up that first poem, when there's that kind of self-aware moment is like, it's a happening through time. And so then 
then it's like, and the kind of collection of observations, then it's like the stepping back to like, think of it all together. It like misses the moment to moment, like happening of the poem, if that makes sense, because it's not, it's not a whole poem. It's a, it's a kind of a sequence of events that makes sense where and and it does you're right like read that way where it's like a rabbit has stopped on the gravel driveway and there's a colon and then it's like imbibing the silence you stare at spruce needles and then you can yeah you can really imagine the speaker being like huh there's no sound of the leaf blower usually that leaf blower is going because of my effing neighbor who's no big deal he's a rake that happens huh? here and i don't like it <laughs> Because guess what? It seems to me like it takes about the same amount of time. <laughs> Honestly, it's like three, I'm not kidding, three hours of leaf blowing. Would it really take you more time to rake the yard? I don't think it would. I really don't think it would. It doesn't bother me that much, except that I noticed it and thought about it and realized this isn't saving any time. I guess effort. It does save effort, but like, right, does not save any time. Yeah. No. And there, yeah, there, we have some friends who's have a neighbor who like is apparently like always working the leaf blower, like to the <laughs> point where it's like, there's not like, maybe there's some dust, but it's like, there's not like a bunch leaves have not fallen lately. You know what I mean? Um, and it is one of those sounds that is quite a relief when it's not there, if you are used to it. Um, yeah, like we were hanging out in our neighbor's AC unit, suddenly turned off, and we were like, felt very exposed. We were like, oh my God, everyone can hear everything that we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> we were <all> like, <laughs> ooh. Anyway, yeah, it's like when you turn a fan. I've been living in a personally curated wind tunnel of two fans. And <laughs> when they're not on, it's like, whoa, everything is sounds. Yeah. <laughs> you adapt so quickly to the constant. It's not even white noise because it's just like, right, right, right. It, especially when it's both fans going, which has been necessary and will continue to be because it's. I wrote a song today. It's called 88 Degrees, parentheses. That's too many degrees. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, thank you. And it's going to be like that for like a week. And, Ugh. but the sound of the fans is real. I'm like, right now I turned them off so we could record. And it's like, wow, it's really quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our listeners will thank you for your sacrifice. But I will say kind of connecting a lot of things with that, The like, the part of the reason I think the description of his poetry being like a tonic for the mind is it has a sim, it does read like the poem. It really does feel like an encounter with the poem. Like it is the thing in, in nature that you're just paying attention to. Um, and in part because so many things are slowed down and are so precise in the poem that you really have to, I think, 
focus in a different way to to track everything but because of that it it feels somewhat similar to that experience of watching the rabbit sort of moving and not moving where it's this very kind of mindful attentiveness um but in this case it's it's to the language and to the to the poem and and that has that effect i think of after reading his work it feels like i'm cleared out a little bit of mind junk i don't know <laughs> yes. if that makes sense yeah yes i think cleared out of mind junk is a good way of putting it because <laughs> it does have that that kind of effect of just drawing you into being present and drawing you into being attuned to your surroundings because i think there might be a slightly aspirational place where you get to at the end of a poem like this where you think hey i want to think that i want to have that experience with gravel <laughs> i should yeah. start contemplating gravel more you know and i and i like that that's part of why again i think that's part of why i was drawn to this poem because obviously there's a lot of stuff that's not great right now coming to you live from usa 2022 what's up Woo. uh and not to obviously not to discount the importance of paying attention to all those things and being involved with causes that are important to you and working for justice of all kinds and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the constant barrage can become overwhelming and to be in a place where you can do the most best work and be present for the people in your life and for the causes you care about, you have to be able to stop and rest and recalibrate and you know, reattune yourself to the world. And part of that is being mindful and attentive to bigger questions and having a spiritual life in addition to a material life. And I like the direction and the way that this poem accesses that kind of side of being. And you got to be able to tune into the, you know, take walks and <laughs> enjoy the gravel and the trees and the sky and the stars behind the sun and, and all that stuff. Like that's, there's gotta be a place for that. And I think part of my selection of this poem is because I've been trying to be particularly mindful of, you know, finding time and space for, for that. I've been trying to take a lot of walks. <laughs> it's been, yeah. Good. Um, that was the only reason I really had the realization about, you know, there's always stars behind the sun is because I was taking a walk at like 1030 at night and I was looking around and I was like, oh, yeah, I walked by here yesterday. Hey, wait a minute. It was sunny yesterday. <laughs> and now there's stars all over the place. I get it. There's always stars. I, I figured it out. Like, hey, that's right. That actually is like, that's a thing. That's like a real thing. That line's a real thing. Uh, it, was, it was a whole moment of like, wow. wow, look at that. That's what I do as I yeah. walk around the town of Bennington <laughs> looking at stuff. Uh, I do think that's true. I've been thinking a lot about our recent interview and conversation with Noor Hindi and something that she had said about like, um, like being indifferent and kind of the necessity to be soft 
even though it can be painful. Um, and that kind of sometimes an indifference or a kind of hard shell or insensitivity to the world is like a necessary survival thing, certainly. Um, especially when like you're the one who's experiencing whatever kind of directly. Um, and then at the same time, there's also the kind of like indifference that feels kind of survivally because everything does feel very hard, but that also can be numbing to the point of a, you know, a bit of a privilege or a bit of a, a turning off one's focus on the world when, when the focus is most important. And I do think that, um, yeah, this kind of, like, this kind of poetry is a, is a very, I think you put it very well, and it's a very useful, like, way of attuning and softening oneself kind of to the world. Um, that's, that I think is both like, important and valuable in and of itself, regardless of what's happening or not happening. Um, but also is like very necessary, um, like given everything that's, that's happening right now. Totally. Yeah. There's gotta be some, some space for softness in this, in this tough old world. Yeah. Uh, shall we hear it again? I think we shall. I think we All shall. All right. This is First Snow by Arthur Z. A rabbit has stopped on the gravel driveway. Imbibing the silence, you stare at spruce needles. There's no sound of a leaf blower, no sign of a black bear. A few weeks ago, a buck scraped his rack against an aspen trunk. A carpenter scribed a plank along a curved stone wall. You only spot the rabbit's ears and tail. When it moves, you locate it against speckled gravel. But when it stops, it blends in again. The world of being is like this gravel. You think you own a car, a house, this blue zigzagged shirt. But you just borrow these things. Yesterday. You constructed an aqueduct of dreams and stood at Gibraltar, but you possess nothing. Snow melts into a pool of clear water. And in this stillness, starlight behind daylight, wherever you gaze. <laughs> it's that time once again yet again i must inquire what medias of sorts you have been enjoying or listening to or watching or imbibing uh lately that you'd like to recommend yeah there's a ton there's a lot of stuff <laughs> let me tell you connor i've been okay. on a journey a real oh, journey wow um and also 
you've been busy, so we haven't recorded for a while. <laughs> it's been too long, <laughs> which is, Jack. <laughs> which and... is completely understandable and fine, but it also means I've had more time to watch, read, and listen to things. And there's been <laughs> so many different things. Am I going to, I, the boys season three of the boys came out. Guess what? It's really good. Um, it's like maybe the first really, really good piece of art that addresses Trump and Trumpism, mm. uh, because the main superhero who's like bad Superman is like, what if Superman was awful, uh, is Trump. He just is Trump and he kind of always has been, but they make it really explicit this season, but in a way that's super obvious, but doesn't to me at least feel like it's knocking you over the head in a bad way because the backstory of the character is that he doesn't have a father figure and he's desperate for approval and love, but he goes about it in all these horrible ways. And he's also super powerful. So he punishes everybody, but he's also horribly insecure. And it's like the, all the pop psychology about Trump is this character's backstory. So when he's doing all this stuff that is literally stuff that Trump does, like he, goes around the table and has everybody talk about how amazing he is. And the first person who disagrees, he kicks them out. And it's like exactly a mirror of the mm. Trump cabinet meeting, but it grows out of his character in the show. So it doesn't feel like, Oh, they're doing a Trump, even though they're doing a Trump, it's like, Hey, but it's also like literally what this guy would do in this situation. Cause we've watched him for two seasons at this point, And like, of course this is what he does. He sucks. Um, and th there's a moment at his birthday bash that gets put out on, uh, you know, Vought plus or whatever, which is the fictional company's fictional streaming service. Uh, and like, he goes on a rant at the end of it where he's like, I'm better than all of you. They, you know, the corporate overlords don't want me to tell you the truth, but if they can control me, imagine what they'll do to you. And I'm just out here speaking truths. People fucking eat it up. They love it. People have been mad at him because he dated a Nazi, but he's like, that was a mistake. I fell for the wrong woman. And also I'm amazing and you should love me. And they're like, oh my God, he's right. He's so amazing. Oh, what, Vought, they're a bad corporation. They're trying to shut him up. Um, so anyway, season three of the boys, great stuff. Uh, definitely some graphic content of all kinds in all seasons of the boys. So yeah, been watching that really enjoying that great stuff. Um, amazing. It's kind of amazing to me because I think this has been a little bit of a conversation of like, what's going to be the piece of great Trump era art, like Hamilton, that's Obama era art that really knocked it out of the park as being a, hmm. a distillation of a lot of stuff that was going on from maybe 2009 to 2015. And this to me feels like it's, doing the Trump era in a really interesting, good way. Um, Cause it also has a lot to say about corporations and corporate growth and what they look like now. And so in the, in the third season Vought, which is this giant like Disney, Amazon type company, it's on Amazon prime by the way, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> um, but like they're, you know, black lives matter and we need to do the work and corporate pride and all this stuff. And they just obviously do not care. It just happens to be profitable that they can now say all this stuff. Right. Um, it, it's great. So yeah, watch that. Watched Miss Marvel on Disney plus, which is Woo! great. Love and Miss Marvel episode five written by a poet whose poems we have covered Fatima Askar, um, who is now responsible as I gleefully texted you for half of the canonical Springsteen references in the MCU. Boom. Boom. Uh, because one of the characters mothers is like, you went and followed Bruce Springsteen around. She's like, please mom. It was Bon Jovi. Get it right. <laughs> hilarious. I watched Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney plus as well. 
Hello oh, there. Man. It's me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Hello. Hello there. Hello. Um, that was fine. A real recommendation. I've been very much enjoying the YouTube videos of FD Signifier. Are you aware of this uh, YouTube channel? No. Great. Very long in some instances, but really, really well done videos about uh, often topics of black masculinity is hmm. sort of a main focus. A couple of videos. The reason that he came to my attention is because of these two videos, dissecting the manosphere and connecting the manosphere, which are about like Jordan Peterson types on the internet mm. and who they appeal to and why. And it's a really good and interesting analysis. And I particularly liked it because it gets into um, the an area of the manosphere I'm less familiar with, which is black manosphere creators. Um, mm. And so that was fascinating. But like the whole channel has a bunch of really interesting uh, analysis and really good videos. Um, really good one about Dave Chappelle, two parts about Kanye which was nice to, to see. And, and part of the, the Kanye analysis and the Dave Chappelle analysis was coming at it from his perspective. The guy who does these videos is like an older millennial, basically, maybe late Gen X older millennial, and talking about why these figures occupy such a space for people of that generation, particularly where it's like, you grew up with these folks and particularly with Kanye, it's like you remember the good stuff and you want that again. Like you remember the old Kanye and you're kind of waiting for that to come back. And occasionally it's hinted at now and again, like once or twice every couple of years. And you see all of the hurt and the pain and the mental illness that goes into the stuff that's not so good and like really fascinating, compassionate, thoughtful analysis um, and kind of a similar thing with Dave Chappelle where it's like there's a reason that he's got the platform he has now that he habitually misuses and is doing really awful stuff with but like why do so many people still care why do so many people want to make excuses uh, and really getting into bringing that historical context in addition to dissecting why he has become so awful so really really loving going through having discovered FD signifier with a lot of really good, pretty long videos to, to learn from. So really, really cool stuff. Um, great shorter video on how Issa Rae writes black male characters and what it means. Um, Cause obviously insecure got a lot of attention for her character and the bond that she has with her best friend, Molly. Um, but like what it means that there's so many different depictions of black masculinity in that show as well. Um, which I thought was a kind of fascinating kind of analysis to do. Um, so that's good stuff. I've also yeah. been listening to the Delmonas. It's a a garage rock band from the 80s. It's a bunch of women and great stuff. Awesome. Woo. There's more. There's so much more, but that's stopping there. I know. I watched okay. all the Predator movies, Connor. I now Holy. have watched the Predator movies. I hadn't watched the Predator movies. Wow. They're confusingly titled. <laughs> Predator. Yeah. Predator 2. Okay, we're doing fine so far. Predators. Hmm. Yeah. The Predator. Okay. Huh. That one's very bad. The other ones are fine. Hmm. You should watch the Predator movies. I may. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely might.
but that's what I've been up to. Amazing. I yeah. love it. What about you? What you got going on? Oh man, Jack. Well, aside from moving house, which may be all encompassing. That was definitely a lot of it. Um, definitely did some moving. We did move while moving. I had some time to listen to some things. Um, and I'm still working through it since it's quite a big thing slash a person. Uh, do you know of Samir Amin? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, maybe you can help me out because <laughs> um, I've been... Okay, so like basically Samir Amin... He passed away in 2018, I think, but he had published, I think, for about 60 years. He was an economist. Um, he was from Egypt. He was uh, a kind of a Marxist, but like more sophisticated, basically, and sort of was positioning his analysis, you know, from the global south or um the periphery as it's also sometimes called um and i've been trying to like i listen to a lot of things that like refer to things that he has written about but like the only economics that i learned was stupid econ 101 in college and that was <laughs> um as uh, Samir Amin said in a uh, lecture, uh, I think absolute nonsense and made up. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I've been very interested in trying to learn about him and his, well, basically the ideas um, that he has put forth and his critiques of capitalism and imperialism and how that they are sort of related. Um, and there are some lectures that are available um, through the, the podcast. Uh, the East is a podcast, um, which does a, has a lot of stuff that I, that I haven't yet waded into, but it has published this three part lecture series that Amin gave um, several years ago that is kind of reflecting on his body of work and also is is framing it around um, the Bandung project or conference, which was a kind of conference of um, nations and states uh, in the 50s, many of them shortly after decolonizing and kind of thinking about how to um, you know, resist uh, colonialism and neocolonialism and things like that. Um, and is related, I think, to like the idea of the third world, which has kind of like lost its meaning has kind of changed into this like pejorative thing, um, which I had not really realized but that the first world was like the capitalist states and the second world were like Russia, the Soviet Union and China, the like communist states. And then the, the third world was like everybody else. Yep. But it was like, we are another, like 
we're here too kind of thing. Uh, and so it was and not like a kind of um, anyway, to me, it's always had the connotation or people have always said it with the connotation of just like poor countries that are behind, but it, it actually was kind of a self-designating, like kind of like a third way, but not in the bad Democrat sense. <laughs> not in the Bill Clinton, Tony Blair sense. Exactly. You know, like, hey, guess what? There's a whole other world out there. There's more going on than your weird great power struggle. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, definitely. No, I think I have his book. I think I can see it over on my shelf. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's right there. Oh, dang. Well, you're on it. Yeah. And interestingly, he also has, I mean, this is kind of his Marxist coming out, but he has critiqued um, Edward Said for being a bit too like culturalist and stuff like that, which isn't the most interesting to me at this point. But nevertheless, <laughs> to me, the way that I've always understood Said's critique helpfully is it, it provides the kind of ideological and sort of discursive and like it's the almost the post justification for the exploitation and domination of like you know european and western colonial imperial projects most people left to their own devices aren't like down with doing horrible brutal things to a lot of people uh and that it takes a lot of habituating through language and other things and cultural production to um, make that feel like it's, if not a good thing, it's the necessary thing or a tolerable thing, or maybe even not a thing. Um, anyway, uh, but I've been kind of getting into Samir Amin and I've, I liked, I liked these lectures a lot. They were a good introduction to um, his work. So um, I would I would recommend Samir Amin and um, his his lectures, which we'll link to uh, from the, the East as a podcast. This is co-host Jack Rossiter Munley. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Five stars, maybe? Those reviews help with the algorithm and are a great way for us to find new listeners. And you can put anything in them. You can write whatever you want. You can just say, oh, this is a good podcast. I like this podcast. You could be like, hey, that Connor guy, he makes a lot of good points. Uh, Jack, why is he doing this outro so long? You know, get him off the mic. And whatever you feel like writing, head on over there, five stars, drop in the review. Uh, do you have thoughts about this poem? Is there a poem or poet you'd like us to cover on a future episode? Well, we'd love to hear from you. And there are tons of ways that you can get in touch with us. I mean, I guess you could drop it into an iTunes review. You could be like five stars. Hey, why don't you talk about insert name of poet here? Um, but you can also send us an email. That's probably the best way to do it. Close talking poetry at gmail.com is our email address, or you can find us on Twitter. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. And the show is at close talking. On Instagram, you can find us there too. Uh, we are at Close Talking Poetry, and we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. We haven't gotten to TikTok yet, and we might never. Who knows? Anything is anything's possible. Um, speaking of all those social media platforms, a very special thank you to our incredible social media manager, Corey China 
who keeps us active across the internet. And a thank you to all of you for listening. We will see you next time.